There was a cave, tucked within a craggy outcrop of rocks, one of many that gave the Syrian desert its characteristic roughness. Most of the caves and underground caverns were well known to the local Bedouins. They knew to keep far away, as the caves harbored some of the most dangerous creatures that lived in the desert. Not as dangerous as humans, of course, but deadly all the same. The unsuspecting weary traveler who sought shelter during the sudden tempestuous sandstorms that plagued the desert would often not make it out alive. The caves were homes to the black desert snakes, the venomous bite of which would send a lethal dose of neurotoxin scorching through the body, resulting in convulsions and paralysis. Those unfortunate enough to be bit would be alert and awake, but unable to move while slowly and painfully being devoured by the hungry, undulating creatures. Needless to say, it was avoided at all cost, except for the few who were courageous and curious of heart. Curious because there was myth associated with this cave. Folklore said that the cave had supernatural properties. That sometimes the cave would glow with a strange flickering light, and at times men were seen entering and disappearing into the blackness within. But any time a brave, reckless soul approached the dark, foreboding entrance to see what was going on, they were quickly frightened away by a swarm of slithering, hissing vipers, so they just shrugged off the sightings as a mirage. A hallucination due a touch too much of the desert heat. So maybe it was a good thing that on this particular night, not many of the local tribes people were paying attention to their surroundings because what they would have seen would have left them in an utter state of bewilderment. You're listening to 49 Pivotal Moments in a Smiley History, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Alipai. Welcome to the third episode in the Rise of the Fatimid series, Catch Me If You Can. In the last episode, we left off with the Imam escaping from Salamia, just barely avoiding capture by the Abbasid soldiers. Overnight, he became the most wanted man in the vast and hostile Abbasid-controlled lands, the subject of an intense manhunt with no place to go and no place to hide. Again, I remind you that this is a dramatized, embellished account of an actual historical event. The story is true, but the descriptions are mine and mine alone. These are scenes that I see playing out in my mind like a movie, sometimes in grainy black and white and sometimes in splashes of vivid color. Imagination is a beautiful thing but the lines between fact and fiction can get blurred. So for a quick review of what is known to be true from the publications from the Institute of Ismaili Studies is, in 899, Imam al-Mahdi became the 11th hereditary Imam of the Ismailis. 
Not all the Dais accepted his imamid and rebelled, like Hamdan and Abdan Kermat in Iraq. Another Dai, Zikrawai, and his sons were also rebelling and wreaking havoc, and this led to the revelation of the imam's identity and whereabouts, causing the abrupt and sudden end to the Dorisatr. The Abbasid authorities converged on Salamir to capture Imam al-Mahdi. The Dais in Baghdad learned of the Abbasid's plan and raced to inform the imam that his life was in danger. The imam escaped. He traveled with his young son, Abu Qasim, his chief Dai Feroz, and his chamberlain Jafar from Salamia to Damascus to Palestine. And this was just the beginning. The imam with his young son had to remain in hiding, moving from place to place for seven long, difficult years as the Abbasids gave chase all the way. Now these are the known facts. But there's not a lot of detail on how he escaped. Legend, I repeat, legend has it that the imam's home was built with secret passages and underground tunnels that led in and out of Salamia. Perhaps this is how he may have been able to make a clandestine getaway without anyone seeing him. And this is where we're going to begin. All the while keeping in mind that I'm sharing with you how I imagine it to go down. Our story starts on an August evening in the ancient city of Salamia, in the year 902. Throughout the town, families were preparing for the evening meal. The sun had started to disappear over the horizon and candles and lanterns emanated a yellowish hue through the open windows and lit up the cobblestone alleyways. The dyes had arrived a little while earlier, dusty, disheveled, and distressed, to warn Imam al-Mahdi of the Abbasid's plan to arrest him. They made it just before the Abbasid agents from Damascus surrounded Salamia to set the groundwork for the arrival of the commander from Baghdad and his team of lethal soldiers. And just as these agents had been watching the Imam's residence, the Dais had been watching them. With urgency, they reported to the Imam that his house was under surveillance, and it was only a matter of hours before the soldiers from Baghdad would be at his doorstep. They beseeched the Imam to leave at once, that his life was in danger. The Imam received the news with gravity, but he didn't leave right away. His main concern was to protect his Jamaat, to ensure that no matter what happened, they would stay safe. Anything and everything that would put the Jamaat at risk was destroyed or hidden in crates that were lowered into a deep pit below a concealed trapdoor in the secret library. The old frayed vellum map painted portraits of his ancestors, the imam's treasured books, letters from the dais, all burnt or 
packed and hidden away to be collected at a later date, if ever. Then, the family quickly gathered their essential belongings, and one by one, they descended a ladder that led through the trapdoor into a dark, musty space. The mansion had been built over a small underground cavern. Over time, the previous imams had tunnels constructed, like a series of mazes that led to different areas in and out of Salamia. But the dais warned that most of the exits were too close to where the Abbasid's agents were patrolling. It was just too risky, and there was only one way out. It was through the longest tunnel that led out into a small cave within an outcrop of rocks and boulders in the desert. This tunnel was rarely used. They all knew it was the last resort. If they could avoid this route, they would. But now there was no choice. The Abbasids were more dangerous. A few of the dais walked in front of the group, the tallest having to stoop down as the ceiling was quite low. They carried torches and swept the flames along the walls and floor to scare away unwanted creatures. The Imam's Lieutenant Firoz followed, gripping a lantern to light the path ahead. His hand was shaking so much that at times it created a strobe-like effect. A few steps behind him was the Imam and his family. Two more dies and the Imam's Chamberlain Jaffer kept rear guard. The Imam had given Jaffer leave to seek safety in his own village, but Jaffer tearfully refused to leave the Imam's side. The passage was winding and long with other tunnels coming off that led in different convoluted directions. It would have been easy to get lost in the endless maze, but the dyes knew their way. They walked together in silence, speaking in soft whispers only when necessary, mostly to reassure the frightened children. Any sound would ricochet and bounce repeatedly from side to side, resulting in a crescendo of noise throughout the passageway. The light cast shadows along the walls and illuminated scurrying animals scampering along the edges. At one point, a flock of bats, suddenly disturbed by their presence, squealed in deafening echoes that fluttered around their heads. causing the dice to swing the torches wildly, trying to warn them off. For more than an hour, they continued to walk in single file through the twisting and turning darkness, one deliberate foot in front of the other. The mood was grim, and became even grimmer as they finally approached the end, to a large wooden door that separated the tunnel from the cave. The dice stopped, knowing what could be lurking behind the door. They waited for the imam and his family to catch up. Sweat dripped from Feroz's face as he shrank back into the group, refusing to be the one to open the door. Just then, a young initiate, a die in training, looked at the imam who gave him a nod to proceed. 
Reassured, he stepped forward, and as the rest of the group drew back, he gripped the rusted iron latch and pulled it forward. He slowly inched the door open with one hand. There was only silence and blackness inside. With the other hand, he flung a flaming torch to one side of the cave. All of a sudden, the floor of the cave heaved and undulated to one side, and a multitude of discordant hissing sounds filled the air. He quickly shut the door, leaned against it, and drew in a deep, shaky breath. After regaining his composure, he asked for another torch, and again opened the door and flung it to the same side of the cave. By now, the hissing sound was reverberating through the space, causing some to clutch their ears to block out the terrifying sound. He opened the door a few inches more and looked inside. The light had made the cave more visible. A tortuous mass of slithering, glistening vipers swarmed in a furious frenzy along one side, disturbed by the smoke and flames of the torch. This created a passageway to get through. The dye seized the opportunity. One by one, they stepped inside, holding the torches in front of them. Together, they held the fire towards the hissing, lunging, venomous vipers. Creating a wall of flame allowing the rest of the group to hurry past and, and into the welcoming desert air. It took only a few minutes for everyone to clear the cave, but as the dyes later recalled, time had come to a standstill. Everything happened in a staccato of slow-motion images and sounds, encapsulated by shadows and light of the flickering flames. But there were some things they didn't share, and I can just imagine what that might have been. How the narrow cave seemed to mysteriously expand how the discordant hissing sound seemed to harmonize into a melodious chant, how calmness replaced the terror that had overwhelmed them, and how even the snakes seemed to bow down as the imam passed by. They emerged from the cave into a moonless night, and were met by two Ismailis whom the Dais had recruited for this mission. They had been waiting for the group with horses and carriages, packed with food and water. Soon they were on their way. The plan was to get as far away from the Abbasids under the cover of darkness. And as the soldiers from Baghdad frantically searched the Imam's home, 
Imam al-Mahdi was well on his way to Damascus. But their time in Damascus was short. Within days, the entire city was covered with proclamations asking for the Imam's arrest. They called him a heretic out to destroy the empire. On the windows of shops, doors of mosques, and along the market stalls, cloth banners with the Imam's description offering a heavy reward for his capture were put up for all to see. Everyone knew the Abbasids were just one step behind. As the manhunt intensified, the Imam had to make a difficult decision. He gathered his family and told them for their safety he would have to part ways. Then he gently informed them that his young son, Abu Qasim, would also be traveling with him. Many years later, Abu Qasim would become the 12th hereditary Imam, Al-Qaim, of the Ismailis. The care of the family was entrusted to a devoted Dai who pledged he would ensure that no harm would come to them. As the family parted ways, the young Abu Qasim, only seven years old, clung to his mother as she embraced him and urged him to be brave. She whispered prayers over him as drops of her tears fell onto his forehead. Wise behind his ears, holding back his own urge to cry, he gently wiped the tears from his mother's face. Then he looked up at his father and found strength and resolve at what he saw. He took his father's hand nodded that he was ready, and with a last look at his mother, his brothers and sisters, he bade them farewell. This concludes episode three. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. Please join me for the next episode coming out soon. Peace.